This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 499 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com and Greywall Equestrian. In this episode, the rest of the scoop brings us a BizStam original called Jockeying for Fame. Daredevil Devin Horn checks in one last time before her third attempt at the Mongol Derby. And the Horselovers.com product review of the week is the Mud's Stay Cool Women's Boots. Hi, everybody. Glenn the Geek back with you. Glad to have you back. The Stable Scoop Show is the flagship show of the Horse Radio Network. We started this show August 8th of 2008. We got our 10th year anniversary coming up. And on the next episode, episode number 500, Helena will be back. For new listeners, Helena was my first co-host for nine years. She'll be back to join me for an episode to talk about our favorite highlights from the past 10 years. And of course, the Stable Scoop show led to the Horse Radio work, which now is approaching 7,000 episodes. That'll happen sometime in September or October. We haven't nailed down exactly when. So look forward to Helena coming back for another episode, episode number 500 in a couple of weeks. But today... We bring to you the rest of the scoop, which is a story that Biz Stam put together, and I personally think it's her best one. I think this is her best story yet, so I think you're going to enjoy that. And of course, Devin Horn is leaving in a couple of weeks for the Mongol Derby, and she joins us one last time. And now, the rest of the scoop. Jockeying for Fame by Biz Stam. You could say that little Joseph had entertaining in his blood. He was born on September 23, 1920, the son of a vaudeville performer and a burlesque dancer. It seemed that show business was his destiny. At just 17 months old, he appeared in his parents' dance routine wearing a tiny tuxedo. But those happy days of performing as a family didn't last. When he was just four years old, Joseph's parents separated. The next year, he moved with his mother to Hollywood, where he began to take bit roles in films. While the parts were small, he got the opportunity to work alongside some of the biggest stars of the time, whetting his appetite for fame. In 1927, he landed his first leading role in a comedy entitled Mickey's Circus. This comedy was the first in a series of 78 films, all in which Joseph starred, providing evidence of his talent to reliably produce laughter. As a result, during his teenage years, Joseph found himself somewhat pigeonholed in comic relief-type roles. Nevertheless, he used every single part as an opportunity to shine, often becoming the unintended star of the movie. Despite his ability to light up the screen, Joseph began to acquire the reputation of being difficult to work with on set. He would constantly talk back to directors, telling them what they were asking of him was simply impossible. One of his co-stars described him as a fine actor, but a brat. Even with his difficulties behind the scenes, Joseph continued to churn out hit after hit. His success often positioned him in films next to some of Hollywood's most beautiful starlets. He shared screen time with such greats as Judy Garland, Elizabeth Taylor, and Audrey Hepburn. While Joseph was by no means unattractive, he possessed a slight five-foot-two frame and had a boyishly round face. This look was perfect for the teenage roles that had made him a star, and his small stature made him an ideal candidate to play jockeys, which he went on to do in several films. His look, however, made leading man roles out of reach. 
While he wasn't fit to play a hero on the silver screen, in 1944, Joseph found himself called upon to play one in real life. At the start of World War II, Joseph was inducted into the United States Army. The Army immediately put his natural ability to work, placing him into a special unit dedicated to entertaining the troops in combat zones. He spent 21 months lifting the spirits of soldiers who found themselves enduring unthinkable horrors far from home. Shortly after the war, Joseph returned to the United States visibly aged by his experience. While his infectious charisma was still very much present, it became clear that he was no longer suitable for the roles that had defined his early career, nor was his look consistent with the leading men of the day. Those men were tall, broad-chested, with chiseled jawlines and bulging biceps. Roles became increasingly difficult to come by, but Joseph knew in his heart he was destined for stardom. While his look was not what casting directors were seeking for the big screen parts, Joseph had a face that was perfect for radio. In 1948, he took on a recurring role in the CBS radio series called Shorty Bell. His determination became clear to those in the entertainment industry, and shortly after his stint on Shorty Bell, Joseph began to get roles offered to him once again. Most of the roles were bit roles and character parts, but they were roles nonetheless. He took them, and more often than not, he was brilliant. Despite having an unconventional look for Hollywood, Joseph's magnetism on screen was undeniable. By the mid-1950s, Joseph landed several television roles and for a while even starred his very own show. By the 1960s, he was once again a full-blown star, playing large parts in prestigious films. In 1979, he was cast in one of the iconic roles of his career. Francis Ford Coppola called Joseph and asked him if he thought he could play a jockey in his upcoming film. Joseph, with his long history of portraying the pint-sized equine pilots, laughed and said, Gee, I don't know. I've never played a jockey before. The film was called The Black Stallion. And if you were to look at the cast to list for the film, you probably wouldn't find anybody named Joseph. That's because Joseph generally went by his stage name, a name he shared with the first starring role that launched his career, Mickey. Mickey Rooney, to be exact. Rooney's show business career spanned almost the entirety of his life from 1920 to 2014, with hundreds of credits to his name. But some of his most memorable roles, such as Thoroughbreds Don't Cry, National Velvet, and The Black Stallion, are powered by the passion horses inspire in humankind. Much like Rooney, many of the horses in these stories were misfit underdogs. They weren't supposed to succeed, but with a little luck and an undying spirit, they beat the odds. Now you know the rest of the scoop of Mickey Rooney. My favorite part of the show, where I get to sit down with our lovely auditors, one of whom has taken time out of their busy life to take on a product that they're unfamiliar with, test it, thoroughly check it out, and then come on the air and tell us whether or not they thought it was lovely. And today on the show, I have Tammy Swanson. Welcome, Tammy. 
Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, Tammy, uh, what part of the world are you currently in? I'm in a little town called Wamego, Kansas, and um, it's known for the Wizard of Oz. We have a Wizard of Oz museum <gasps> with m- many original artifacts, oh and my gosh. so it's considered like the Oz of Kansas. I want to go there because the Wizard of Oz is one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. There's an Oz festival here once a year, and I think there's only one little person left, but he comes um, every year for the festival, and so you can have your pictures taken with him, and there's everybody's dressed up. It's pretty cool. Today, we're going to uh, review a product. We're going to talk about the Noble Outfitters Ladies Muds Stay Cool Boots. So tell us, what sort of boots are they, Tammy? They're short um, paddock boots, and they're, I feel like they're pretty much indestructible. Um, <laughs> I would say that you stay pretty cool in them because it's over 100 here with humidity, and I'm wearing them, and I wore them lat part of last summer too, but I also wore them up until it got pretty darn cold um, with, you know, like longer socks. So I use them as everyday muck cleaning, you know, whenever I have to go out um, boots. But I think you can ride in them as well because they're not super chunky wide. They're not super chunky wide. Now, are these a traditional leather or leather-like paddock boots or are these more like your slip-on, wear them when the grass is wet kind of uh, boots? Well, they um, they do slip on. They have a little pull tab on the back of them that is great because they kind of just suck onto your foot. And I would say that um, the inside has a little bit of neoprene on them. And the outside is a real like squishy but heavy duty rubber. So it's very durable. It wouldn't be something that you would just be able to wear in the rain. Um, yet it's not nice enough like I mean I have ran into tractor supply with them on but it's not <laughs> nice enough <laughs> hey there are There's no rules nice at tractor supply really man no rules <laughs> right <laughs> so, so these are see, these are a sturdy rubber boot that's really going to hold up to mm-hmm. the wear and tear of a horse gal's life mm-hmm. and I would also add like the biggest um, benefit for me was they are really comfortable, like they're really padded and they support your foot good because I'm I'm out on the rocks a lot here and my feet get sore easy. And so I was concerned that maybe they wouldn't be durable enough or almost, um, I don't want to say orthotic, but cushy enough, you mm-hmm. know, to support your feet for hours. And they really are. They They work wonderful. Ah, so they're a good sturdy boot that gives you some support on the bottom of your foot. Because sometimes you buy these rubber boots to wear around the farm and they're they're nice and lightweight, but they are so lightweight that they don't really give your foot any support. So these are going to be useful for spending many hours on rough terrain. And I notice I'm looking at the picture here on horselovers.com and they have a little tiny spur rest on the back in case you wear spurs and you want to hop in the saddle. <laughs> Handy dandy. Yeah, probably. I, I guess I didn't look at that, but I do remember them um, being um, listed as you're able to ride in them. Mm-hmm. And and I'll add this. So I liked them so much. I bought the winter version of them, the long, warm version of them. 
look at you. Wow, you're really stepping up. And what color did your uh, (laughs) Noble Outfitters Ladies Mud Stay Cool Boots come in? Mm, I stuck with black. Um, I I think they come in other colors, but I stuck with the black because black doesn't show dirt and poop as much. And it goes with everything. It does, and they hose right off. They look brand new. They don't look marred or scratched. They just look brand new. Well, how about that? Now, fit-wise... Um, did they fit as it, you ordered the size you thought would fit? And do you think they run big, small, or just right? I would say that they run just a tad bit big. I don't even know that it's a half a size. So I'd probably order true to size. Um, I have plenty of room for heavy duty socks in them. There we go. The Noble Outfitters, ladies, muds, stay cool boots. These are the six inch size. They are available at horselovers.com. That's horselovers with a Z.com. As we record this product highlight for $69.95. And I want to say thank you very much to Tammy Swanson. She is a badass. I always knew she was one. Well, in her last appearance on the Stable Scoop Show, before the Mongol Derby, we have badass Devin Horn. Hi, Devin. Hi there. Yeah, you really need to add that caveat because if you say last ever... um, Yeah, no, no, no. We're going to have you back after. Cryptic. (laughs) In one piece with all your parts together. Yes, exactly. Well, I we are actually doing this also as a Facebook Live in the auditor room, so the auditors get to see it first, and they actually get to see you, so that's yes. kind of cool. I posted, the, we and I asked for questions, and I did get some questions today, so we'll be asking those as we go through here, too. But first, we are a few weeks away now. You'll actually, what, in two, three weeks, you're going to be leaving for Mongolia. What date I do you leave? leave? On, I leave on August 1st, which means that I have less than three weeks to go. Okay, so now this is your third time, and a lot of the uh, listeners now have had a chance to see All the Wild Horses, the movie that was filmed by Evo when you were there. And um, this was how many years ago did he film that, your last trip? 2015, and it is now 2018. So three years. So it's been three years. And uh, one of the questions, if anybody has seen the movie, and it's available on Amazon Prime and Hulu, I think. Yes. Okay. So one of the questions was, uh, and if anybody's seen it, they're going to know what we're talking about. Why did she keep going after getting so sick? Aaron wants to know. Well, um, I think it was probably a combination of stupidity and wanting to prove myself and really just trying to bring home a finish and a win and kind of being too in my head to really be able to pull the plug at a reasonable time. And let me provide an answer for your better half, who would say you're just stubborn as hell and will never I quit. I am stubborn <laughs> as hell, <yes. laughs> And one of the one of the conditions of me doing this one more time is that I'm taking my health into real consideration and definitely not going to pull any stunts like that that will make my loved ones. Yeah, yeah. So. You actually want to stay in the house when you're I back. I like to stay cognizant the entire time that <laughs> I'm in Mongolia. <laughs> How much of that last? And for those that don't know, she did get pretty sick. What day two? Um, I was compromised at the start line. Yeah, yeah I thought it was. Surreal. I I could refer to it. I don't know if I can curse on this show, but it was a cluster F U C K of a time, and I really, 
hindsight's twenty twenty, but it was just so not my year. It was really laughable. I mean, I was peeing blood at the start line and really, really should have called it way, way sooner than I did. But I learned a very valuable lesson. Um, Do you remember any of that trip or is the movie just remind you every time? I learned things during that movie that I had no idea had (laughs) happened that that year. Absolutely no idea. (laughs) I figured. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime called All the Wild Horses, it is. And I would definitely recommend you see it before we do our coverage this year of the Mongol Derby. Because unless you're riding in the Mongol Derby this year, then don't watch it before you go. Yeah, then don't watch it. Yeah, you don't want to see it. Um, so what what are you going to do now? I know you've been working overtime. You've been doing marathon runs. You've been doing long-distance training. You've been doing riding endlessly. Do you start to wind that down a little bit, or do you keep up that pace all the way to the Mongol Derby at this point? No. Uh, three weeks before the event, so like right now, um, we begin what we call in running a taper mode, which means that we stop doing the high output runs, and we just kind of try to maintain our focus all the way through the run. So last weekend, me and um, another competitor, Dory Hertel, we did our last long ride, which was about 100 miles. And this weekend, um, we're just going to kind of play around. We're probably going to cover some miles, but it won't be anything really stressful. It'll just be kind of maintaining and keeping our confidence and just sort of coasting into Mongolia. So now, will you do anything different this year in the last couple of weeks before the lead up? Will you do anything different than you did before? Definitely. We'll try to put resting as a forefront. It's really hard for me to not be very active and crazy and going all over the place because that's just kind of who I am. Um, but it, I will definitely make it a point to rest and take care of myself so that I can be as healthy as I can be going into the starting line. And are you going to pack anything differently than you did before? Cause you only have 11 pounds. What they only have 11 pounds in their pack, so they can't carry much. Definitely. So I've spent the last three years or so dialing in my body's nutrition, plan, um, needs over doing things like the San Juan Express 1000, where I, you know, I did the thousand kilometers over 10 days, um, all of the ultra running that I've done, including the hundred miler, I've really been using all of those um, uh, events to test my nutrition plan. So I haven't really dialed in what my body needs, what I personally uh, need to make it through. So I'm going to try to kind of incorporate everything that I've learned. And I really have been trying to learn as much as I can as fast as possible to really give myself a to set myself up for success this year. So will you be bringing, I know that a lot of the competitors that are into super health fitness nuts um, brought a lot of bars and protein bars and energy bars and things like that. Are you going to do that or not? Um, probably not calories. I feel like I can get the calories I need from the step and from the, the people who are there. But as far as electrolytes go, I definitely am bringing many more electrolytes. Than well, I, I think have that's partly that. why you ended up in trouble last time was dehydration too. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, we, we, there was a, I am upping my water capacity this year. Uh, last time I did it on probably 0.6 of a liter between stations. And this year I will have a full two liters carried on my back. Probably a smart so I move. can drink as well <laughs> at will and never run out of water. <laughs> okay. One of the questions was, um, did everybody learn from, and we've been asking this question of the competitors we've been having on, um, did everybody learn from Leslie last year and, uh, not, and, keep their packs on their back and not on the horse? Well, you have to draw a pretty good line as far as what you keep on your back and what you keep on your horse because it is a thousand kilometers and the pack gets really heavy. 
Um, you're not going to be able to carry as much as you want to on your person, but of course you need to carry the essentials, the things that you cannot live without on your person, of course. Because, yeah, there's no guaranteeing that you're not going to stay on that horse. Yeah, I, I, don't I don't think they ever found her pack or her, her, her horse. You could be a four-star yeah. rider, and if, the, if one moment happens wrong, you could wind up on the floor. So. Yeah, I, I don't think they ever found that pack. It's still gone. No, no. <laughs> I was, oh my gosh, watching Leslie last year from home, not being able to do anything was torture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just wanted to... to to drop back her stuff to get her stuff back. <laughs> well, I do have an announcement on that front. Uh, we we have uh, made an, a media arrangement with Practical Horsemen this year. So we're going to be doing, we are going to be do our nightly Facebook coverage over on the Horses in the Morning page, like we did last year with you. Cool. Leslie's going to join us, Evo's going to join us, and a, and several of the competitors from past years are going to join us. So we're going to be doing that every night following your dot. Nice. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have Mongol dot parties every night. And yeah, those are so amazing and yet so stressful at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be watching. And actually the Mongol Derby people are going to be promoting it this year too. So awesome. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that Eric already posted it, and we did that. Part of the reason, we, you know, we did it last year for fun, but what it became was real therapy for the families to get together every oh, night yeah. and to have a, they got to talk to each other in the chat and got to, you know, hang out together. So we're really promoting it out to the families this year as a place to go every night to hang out. Exactly. And, it, you know, the adventurists, when they're out on the field, they, they can't really be answering questions. So a lot of times rider, uh, rider families will be saying, you know, what does this mean? Where's my person? Why is their dot not moving? And of course, having somebody explain it to you uh, step by step every night and kind of being able to bounce ideas off each other is, yeah, like you said, kind of therapeutic. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be doing that again. We'll be doing that every night during the Derby. What are the dates of the Derby? When, when do you actually ride out the first day? Gun, gun <clears throat> fires on the 8th. Um, August 8th. So that is when the Derby starts. Okay, so August 8th is a Wednesday, and then it'll run through whenever you get done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Usually six or seven days is when... Usually, yes, for yeah. the winter, and then you have 11 days total to finish it, so... Yeah, I think we did the coverage for about eight days till most people came in at that point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we'll do that every night on Facebook Live over at Horses in the Morning. So I have a question. I posted, and if anybody wants to see this picture, you can go to my Facebook page, you'll see it. Uh, but I posted a picture of you doing some cosplay in a very skimpy outfit because I thought it was a cool picture of you. You, and it, yeah. it just showed how badass you are. And um, we got more questions on your outfit than anything else. So kind of <laughs> kind of describe the outfit and so everybody could tell what it is. I'll use it also in the show notes for a stable scoop episode for this episode. <laughs> Whether you want um, me to or not. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, it's actually, a, the character is called um, Piranikos from Ruby. It's actually an anime that was shot, produced, and... Um, uh, voice acted right here in Austin, Texas. So it's actually not from Japan. It's from Texas. It's a. It's one of the um, Texas's only original anime. Um, so huh. I felt that I had to make it, you know, and kind of rep Texas a little bit. Did you make but that I, outfit? I did. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, it took me a long time to do, <laughs> and a lot of tears and bloodshed because I'm not really crafty, but I was so determined to get it done. <laughs> wow! I can't believe you made that outfit. Well yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not crafty at all, but um, the armor making is probably my favorite part. You get to use was that actual steel? Was it plastic? No, it's actually EVA foam, which is like those fatigue mats you have on the, the bottom of your warehouse. And you hit it with a, um, you cut out all the pieces to shape, and then you hit it with a heat gun, and it molds into the shape that you want. 
and then you you cover it in plasti dip and then paint it and it's it's like armor but it weighs nothing you did a really good job with it it looks real oh thank you <laughs> yeah it looks great so how, are you really into anime and cosplay and the whole thing Yes, I am. And for a really long time, I didn't admit it. Um, but then I, I realized... You were in the closet. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I was like a closet otaku. Um, <laughs> but then I realized that, you know, the, the reason that I was a closet otaku is because of the stigma that goes around with it. And everyone thinks that nerds are kind of like indoor people. They're lazy and they're not motivated at all. And I realized that I had a chance to be like, hey, what up? I'm pretty much all of those things. And I'm also a nerd. So... Um, I started cosplaying and I started being open about cosplaying a little while ago uh, with the support of my friends and family. And I always, you know, finish up the cosplays and post them on my Facebook. And usually people are pretty nice about it. Like, oh, I didn't know you did this. So. You've been in some interesting outfits. I was checking out your, I was stalking you on Facebook today. I was I'm looking... so glad you didn't use the one of me in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple I could have used that I didn't think you would really like. Yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I really wanted to. We might dig those out during our coverage every night of the yeah, Muggle Derby. Definitely, definitely yeah. don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we might dig some of those out. Uh, Evo had a question, who was the producer of uh, All the Wild Horses, and Evo Marlowe, and he'll be joining us uh, one or two of the nights. And he, s- <laughs> he said, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how awesome will it be not to have a camera in your face the entire time you're there? Well, I have news on that front. Oh, no. <laughs> There's going to be cameras? Yeah. So the first year I did it, I had NBC Nightline in my face the whole time. And then the second year I did it, I had Evo in my face the whole time. And this year, there are. I got a message from Jules the other week saying that they were trying to film an adventurist, um, kind of like a mini te- television series for BBC. And would I mind contributing a few lines? <laughs> and I just went like this. <laughs> would you mind throwing up for them, please? <laughs> yeah, really, really, I can't. I can't at this point imagine Mongolia without a giant film crew. <laughs> it's like part of it almost. I just have to keep my swearing and my crying to a minimum. While and you I'm know like, what? If it goes on the BBC, which comes over here, you're gonna. Have, that's a big audience. I guess. I mean, and and I could be mistaken about the hosting format, but I thought that's what he said. Um, I told him that I would be minimally involved because I really would like to kind of relax and be myself um, and not have to worry about swearing so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll you'll have to be on your best behavior for that. Well, they'll just cut all those parts out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be fine. You'll be be fine. fine. (laughs) You'll be fine. Um, So, and then Eva wanted to know also, are you taking a camel back this time? And you talked about bringing more water. So. Definitely, yes. I will be increasing my fluid capacity by about uh, 100%. Okay, good. Uh, we get this question every time I talk to you. It comes in from listeners, but you might as well address it again because you get it a lot too, is how do you find funding to do these rides? Um. Well, it's a mixture of things. I do have a couple of sponsors this year. Uh, shout out to Hammer Nutrition, which is my go-to for electrolytes, and Fitz Equestrian Riding Gear, which has given me my kit for this year. Um. I don't make a whole lot of money. <laughs> I go without very often um, in order to kind of fuel my my lifestyle. Um, that's really all I can say is that if you if you have a dream and you have something that really moves you and and kind of uh, makes you feel like you can't wake up and not be planning for it, just spend the money and figure out how to compromise other places because you'll never feel complete unless you're chasing what you really want. You don't own your own horse either, do you? No, I don't. See, that's why you can do it. That's why yes, you can afford yes. it. You don't have your own horse. 
I take I take three or four into training each year um, for conditioning, which actually makes a little bit of money. But I don't have my own horse right now. See, that's um, why. And that, so I don't have to spend money on boarding and grooming. And I have literally less than three miles from me. I have a friend who owns 75 horses and I can go and ride at any time. So it's at uh, Cypress Trails Equestrian Center, which is where I've been doing all of my training for the Derby this year. And she literally just cannot run out of horses. There are too many horses over there. They all need to be ridden. So I never, I never have to bum around for rides. It's pretty great. Is there, um, are other new competitors or first timers reaching out to you this year? Uh, yes, not as many as previous years. I think maybe they seem a little bit tired. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm I'm riding this year. Um, but I'm really not the kind of person who would ever like hold back information. Oh no, you wouldn't. Or no. say the wrong thing or try to steer people in a weird direction. I'm all I've always been so sure that the Derby is kind of you versus the world and not you versus everyone else. Um, and like my first mentor, uh, told me, I could tell you everything you have to do, right. And you could still fall on your face out there. <laughs> so yeah, sure. I don't, I don't think that like withholding information or giving weird information is any sort of, um, uh, competitive perk anyway. So uh, one or two people have messaged me throughout the year, but not as much as I usually have. What are the usual questions that they ask the first timers ask you? Mostly, uh, how to deal with chafing is number one. <laughs> number one is, <laughs> is I'm worried about my legs rotting off my body. Can you please help? <laughs> <laughs> Which is um, something that you can only really get by experience. I mean, chafing is just the worst. Uh, but most, but it's also about nutrition and how to keep yourself healthy, and mostly how they can handle you know the training and what's the best way to do training for the derby. And to that, I say just ride really bad horses for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how you get ready for the derby. <laughs> so one of the questions was, uh, how do you pick your horse? So you're, you're picking horses the whole time, what, four times a day sometimes, um, three or four times a day. So you're, pick, you're picking horses. Are you signed horses or do you pick horses? And if you do pick horses, um, they want to know how, how you pick the one. What do you look for? Well, so you, you, what happens is you ride into an Urtu and they have anywhere between five or six um, on a picket line to 40 on a picket line, depending on, on what time of day you come up. Um, and then you have to go down the line and make a choice. Now, you can either ask the Mongolians for help um, and say, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I want a slow, I want a nice horse that's not going to buck me off, or I want a fast horse that's going to go very fast. I usually pick, um, I very rarely ask for, um, tips from the Mongolians. I can usually pick the horse that I want by sight. Um, and when I look at the horses, I'm looking in their eyes. I'm looking for something that kind of, uh, bows up at me kind of. I'm not looking for the ones who, who look gentle or friendly. I'm looking for the, the ones that look like they've got fire coming out of their nostrils. Um, I look for muscle tone and um, just kind of general attitude. I mean, I, I look for the ones that are really going to be a handful because I know they're not going to quit on me. They're going to go till the end of the line. And do, do you use your own tack or do you use their tack? The, the adventurous issue you a saddle. You have to use their and saddle. And what kind of saddles are they using? It's a Franco C, which is a South African manufacturer. They're pretty similar to the Abeta endurance model that we have in the States. Okay, so it's kind of like an endurance saddle. What do they use yeah. for bridles and bits? Um, well, they... I have, hold on one second. Okay. All right. <laughs> and for, if you're listening to this, she's running over to get it now. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they have a... Um, the Mongolian bridles look like this. They're very sim simple. Um, they are made of 
either horse hide or goat hide or some sort of hide here. And they have just these little snaffles, um, very simple snaffles right here. Yeah, and I'm looking and at this bridle. looks like it was made in about 1622 that she's holding yes, up. Yeah. It hasn't changed much since, since Genghis Khan hit France. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of look like it's been around since then. Yeah, this one, this one maybe. <laughs> so they have soft mouthpieces. They're not using metal at all. No, this is metal. This is oh, steel. Oh, is it metal? I can, oh, I yeah, this see is it. steel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and these help sometimes, but not really, because a lot of the horses aren't really bridle broken. So um, these are kind of like a wishful thought. So do you get some horses that are actually really well broke or not? Sometimes, yeah. Um, what you can do is you can look for saddle marks on the horse's back, uh. like they were ridden recently. Um, and that's a really good indication that the horses had at least had somebody sitting on them before. And that, really and great. they, <laughs> but they ride bareback a lot, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Now, and uh, what's really funny is is it's humbling when you go over there and see the little tiny kids that are five years old just rocketing around on these horses. Yeah, I could ride for the rest of my life, and I'll never be as good a rider as those five year olds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cool you see that in the movie. They do show yeah. that. And these kids, they grow up with these horses. It's like they're they're doing the Don races, which are, you know, between 10 and 16 miles of, of ride. So that's like 16 flat out Kentucky derbies. And they're like five years old. And they're <laughs> doing it better than some of the jockeys I've seen at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> So for the live listeners, keep posting questions if you have them. Carol wants to know, does she bridle the horses or do the owners? Um, it depends on how charitable they're feeling. Sometimes they'll get them off the line for you and put the bridles on, which is always great. Um, or you have to do it yourself. There's actually a scene in All the Wild Horses where I'm trying to bridle a horse really unsuccessfully. Yeah, that was... He, it was he's like running circles around yeah. me and I'm chasing after him with my bridle and it's just so sad to watch <laughs> think about the times when you try and bridle your horse and they stick their head straight up and then imagine them running around in circles right, right. the only saving grace is that they're short so you can actually get your hand right. over their ear and pull the bridle when you really need to but man other than that if they were like 16 hands you would have no chance <laughs> <laughs> so i know this is a dumb question to ask devon horn but are you going for a win this year uh, I don't wake up and not expect to go anywhere for second place. <laughs> I knew that was the answer. <laughs> no, no. I, I, it wouldn't be me if I went over there and just played it safe and stuck to the back of the pack and tried to squeak my way through. Um, I'm, I'm going over there to do my best. That's, that's all I can tell you right now. Who are the other veterans going that, uh... Um, there's a girl... Oh, man, you're gonna, you're gonna make me mispronounced names i know there's one australian girl who hadn't finished in 2016 but she's coming back to try to finish again and maddie smith is going for her second year as well she's a american rider uh how about the south african guy is he back again i don't think so okay. i could be wrong but you I know who i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah. Mary? yeah no no he actually rode last year he was one of the um the the three that won wasn't he yeah he was one of the ones and i didn't know if he was coming back uh not that I know of. So you're the I mean, most you veteran veteran? Up until you get to the start line. <laughs> you're the most veteran veteran then? I think so, yes. All right. Well, this is the last chance I'm going to get to talk to you before then. We're going to be watching your dot. Yes. <laughs> uh, every night. So uh, we, we definitely will be following along. We'll be rooting for you every single night. So uh, wave to us occasionally, okay? Yeah, yeah. definitely. We'll do. <laughs> um, there, like I said, watch, um, watch my Facebook page. I'll have my dad be... Um, uh, 
kind of putting together like a kind of a summarized list of things that are happening and posting to my Facebook page, but you're more than welcome to use. Um, okay. He kind of tries to get uh, things kind of sorted for me. And if I have cell reception, I'll call him and check in with him and he'll post updates on me. So okay. And we need to get him on him. one night. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We yeah, need to do a, that. He's a great guy. You'll love him. Yeah. We need to get him <laughs> on one night. I know he's a, he's a, he's an ultra marathon runner too. Yeah, but we're like night and day. He is like so zen and and like we're you won't even we look alike, but you won't believe he's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I got one last comment. Carol said we will drink mare's milk each night in your honor. Please don't. I was just gonna say, better. yeah, you will, Carol. I'm not doing it. <laughs> if you if you drink the margaritas, maybe I can like taste them through you while I'm out there. I really. <laughs> I'll have a strawberry daiquiri for you. Okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Good luck, Devin. Well, yep, as always, I will see you on the other side. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to join Helena and I as she makes a comeback here on the Staple Scoop Radio Show. Episode number 500 be out in a couple of weeks. So take a look for it then, and then we'll be back to our normal schedule of stories and interviews and product reviews, as usual, here on the flagship show of the Horse Radio Network, the Stable Scoop Radio Show. You can find all of the information about the show at stablescoop.com, contact information, all the subscription information, everything is there. And, of course, you can download our app, iOS or Android, to search for Horse Radio Network. There's 17 shows on there, soon to be 18, brand new ones starting shortly. So check it out today. And it's free. It's easy to use. That's it for this week, everybody. Happy scooping.